Hello everybody, happy fall. Welcome to the Tuesday Toolbox meeting of Adult Children of Alcoholics. My name is Anne. I'm a Tuesday Toolbox member and an adult child of an alcoholic. We meet on Tuesdays at 7 in the evening in the Cobble Hill neighborhood of Brooklyn. You are welcome to join us and we'd love to see you there. We're putting recordings of our speakers online every week because we're hoping others can benefit from hearing these stories from our members. We'd love to hear your feedback, comments, and questions. Our email address is TuesdayToolboxACA at gmail.com. Adult Children and Alcoholics is a program of recovery for people who grew up in alcoholic or otherwise dysfunctional homes. If you'd like more information about the program or want to find a meeting in your area, go to adultchildren.org and click on Find the Meeting. Our speaker this week is David, and he's talking about all kinds of stuff, and he was a lot of fun, so we hope you enjoy this. Thanks. That I'm kind of glad I forgot because I haven't been here in a few weeks, um, and I feel really out of my game. And I actually it was deliberate. You know, I wanted to give myself a break. I felt like it's summertime, and I I was feeling like I'm kind of stalled in my ACA a little bit anyway. And I thought maybe I'd take a breather from coming every week um, to see w what the difference would be to feel the difference of not coming. And I can tell you, I'm feeling the difference of not coming. Um, my I'm having confusion over my inner critic versus my um, my my um, inner child or my parent uh, adulting, you know, confusion over like what's adulting versus, you know, being critical of myself, you know, I'm not doing enough, um, this and that. Um, so anyway, a little bit about me, my, I, I grew up in Oklahoma and um, I'm also gay, so that, that folds into my ACA in a, in a big way too. Because my mother was not an my mother was my qualifier. She's an alcoholic. Um, since early earliest memories, there was alcohol in the home. And um, one of my formidable experiences was being five years old and mother saying, um, some of you have heard this story before, but mother calling me from on a Saturday morning, David, will you come and get mom some salt and crackers and seven up? And I knew that it was not for because she was sick. I knew it was because she was hungover. And so little five-year-old David went into the kitchen and got a nice plate, and I fanned the saltine crackers out on the plate and got a nice glass and put ice in it and brought it into the bedroom. The shades were drawn. It's probably like 10 in the morning. And I remember my mother's reaction. She said, oh, David, that is so nice. And a little dopamine uptick on my brain, a little bit like, how am I going to survive this family? How am I going to get my needs met? You know, by being, you know, that approval-seeking, people-pleasing, pivoting around my parents' needs rather than my parent pivoting around my needs as mm -hmm. a child. And so, although my mother was not abusive to me, and I, she was, she, I never felt, I've always felt loved by her. And I think I've struggled with the ACA because I didn't have this mother who um, said bad things about me. She was always so loving, and she, whatever I wanted, she was you know, head of the, not head of the PTA, but she was in PTA. She was the assistant scoutmaster when I was in Cub Scouts, uh, she, which and she did, she ran the whole, the whole, all the dens, you know, she ran the meetings and ran Scoutorama. She, she was like a highly functioning alcoholic. Um, but like, as I was also gay, I also, you know, I didn't feel safe coming to her and saying, hey, I'm being bullied at school. So where do most children go to feel safe? They go home, right? So I'm going to school in Oklahoma. I'm bullied all day long in front of teachers, even teachers, so I had a school secretary tell me people like me should never have been born when I was in sixth grade. Mm -hmm. And 
so I'm having this horrible time at school, and I come home to a, a drug mother who I, you know, I just, I, there was no communication. There was no, like, the caregiving went her direction more to, to her than to me. That said, I did have shoes that fit and orthodontry and violin lessons and piano lessons and tap dance lessons. And, you know, I mean, it was, you know, it wasn't like she held back on some stuff. Um, then there were some weird ways she would be really cheap, like having a pair of hush puppies to go hiking in the, on a t three day hike. And mom saying, you can use those for school too. And then having to pull, you know, a car over, you know, wave a car down along the side of a highway um, so that I could be essentially you know, lifted back to the main camp because I couldn't walk anymore. And so for three months I was, I had swollen ankles and it was this kind of stupid, you know, cheap attitude my mother had in some ways about me that, that I find myself redoing my, and myself, you know, about <coughs> things. Um, anyway, so mom was my qualifier. Um, I started coming to ACA in 2015, I think it was October of 2015, here to this meeting. This is pretty much the only meeting I go to. And... Um, cried the first time I came and sharing the story I couldn't have gotten through as much as I've said right now because I had so much shame and sadness about it um, and now I can talk about it and I can I still feel sadness about it but I don't feel shame and not at all god damn it I'm not gonna allow myself <laughs> I'm not gonna beat, beat myself up about that um, you know I was powerless to my upbringing um, and I was able to go home she died last year but I was able to go home in December and I was able to have words with her and just say you know look, this is how you made me feel, and I do not have to rationalize or justify how you made me feel, this is how you made me fucking feel. You know, you would check out, you know, I wasn't, I didn't feel safe at school, and, you know, and so forth, all the things I've shared with you, or some of it anyway. So that felt really good, and then when she was in the ICU and a few months later in February, you know, I just was able to go into that, I think, so much more better equipped, because I had come to enough meetings here um, to be able to really face, you know, the situation of, you know, my mother's death. And that's, that was, because she was a problematic person, you never get that resolution. I mean, I had three weeks of sobriety with her um, in the ICU, which was not really sobriety because they were giving her anti-anxiety. And then, of course, right at the end, you know, morphine. But <clears throat> there was a connection that I lament that I couldn't have had all those years because she wasn't sober. And uh, I don't know if she'd ever would have gotten there. I mean, had she lived through that, if we would have, you know, taken that experience of those three weeks of sobriety and me helping her get through it and maybe living into maybe sobriety, I don't know if it would have happened. Um, so it's, I'm not going to dream on that one. Um, as far as my mother, you know, I can't blame her for much because her own mother was institutionalized. She had an, uh, basically her two sisters had her committed um, my childhood, early childhood, was, you know, Sunday dinner was at the insane asylum. You know, I would be my brother, Jeff, and me, and my stepdad, who was a professor, who was a shithead, and uh, we'd be pushing our trays down the cafeteria line and eating at the lunch tables with my grandmother and her brother, who was schizophrenic, and watching him pepper his food forever. And, um, you know, just, so I've had a lot of compassion, like, where I grew up feeling a lot of compassion towards people with mental illness. And I, but, but then I'm, it's this repeating the same pattern of like, I'm circling around somebody else's needs. I'm always, you know, the guy that'll help out and stuff. And, and then I just feel spent. And um, as a consequence of going to these meetings, like I've stopped entertaining a lot. I don't actually have a lot of people over anymore. I used to throw these, because I wanted to be fabulous. You know, I want to have these great dinner parties and have people think I'm, I'm so amazing. And now it's like, I don't need their approval. And in fact, it just left me feeling 
where's my invite? Mm-hmm. You know, I never get invited, you know, to your place. Um, was I that good, that fabulous? Or was it something icky about that relationship that maybe they were picking up on it in, in some ways? You know, like there's something weird about it that maybe they, I didn't get the invite in return because maybe my intentions were kind of muddy in a way. Um, anyway, so I've been doing this now, uh, and I'm only, I had a step partner for a little while, but she moved away, and um, I'm only on step three which is the you know, higher power one. And I'm kind of going to skip over because I feel like I've been sitting on it long enough and going on to step four. Um, so that's where I'm at in step four, for those of you that don't know. Can someone help me? Step four is... Um, I'm going to email to you like eight minutes. Okay, cool. Step four is the shame buster, it says here. Let's see. I marked it. Oh, making fearless moral inventory of ourselves. So I, I took and cut out the chapter and looked at the, you know, put things in columns of like the event, the cause of the event, how I felt and the inner child reaction and, and the trait that I developed because of it. And I started working on that and I was just like, but I didn't have a lot, I mean, I don't know, we'll, I'll report back to you on this maybe at another time. Um, but I'm struggling with, with how much of, how much of my shit is from just feeling shame around being gay and that has nothing to do with ACA. And how much of it is sort of a melange of both, you know, having an alcoholic mother and, you know, in terms of my being able to have adult relationships, you know, with same-sex relationships with people that are satisfying, that are not dysfunctional. Um, feeling comfortable getting a sponsor. I've been really struggling with that one here. And I read something, you know, yesterday that I thought I'd read out loud just for fun. Um, talking about, I'm Unitarian, which means we live in the question rather than the answer. <laughs> and that makes it very hard in some ways to find your higher power, I think. For me, I was raised it. In fact, the irony was my mother tried to be Catholic when she got pregnant with my older brother, which was the result of a date rape. That's my father. And then I came along second because they got married anyway. But she tried to make her father-in-law happy by becoming Catholic. And she was a feminist, and she didn't like the you know, patriarchy of it, and so she got in a fight with the priests. And anyway, she went to the Unitarian instead. And um, but as a consequence, I mean, I guess I've been raised with a real skepticism around God, which is ironic to go to church every week, to be like a secular humanist but go to church, or a religious humanist and go to church. So I've been working on that um, higher power thing. But one of the things that said about um, finding sponsors in this book is on page 144 <clears throat> about God. <clears throat> this is the same attitude that often stands in the way of us asking a sponsor for help and working the 12 steps. If we, if we are to get better, we have to quit playing God and ask for help and write out the uncomfortable emotions that accompany this risk. We play God and avoid asking for help in the strangest ways. This is so me. Many adult children can play God by being philosophical about the origins of people, the cosmos, and mysticism but we use this knowledge to avoid getting involved in our own lives. People come to us for knowledge on spiritual matters, but we may feel phony because we realize we are not getting our own needs met. Um, we only have ourselves to turn to to ask for help. We cling to control. We have become knowledge. We be, we have become knowledge. God's sealed, God God's sealed off from others. That's kind of how I sit in this room. In fact, I know we've we've said to have like social meetings. Because I'm so nervous when I raise my hand to say, oh, I, you know, anybody available for being a sponsor or fellow traveler? Because I get so, like, it means I'm going to have to own up to my feelings to somebody. And, you know, 
I'm, I, my inner critic, my judginess about everyone here and like them, you know, what makes you qualified to hear my story and what makes me qualified and I pivot around and I've had such experience pivoting around other people's needs for so long that it's like I get nervous around like, am I going to get into a codependent relationship with somebody in here, even though we're all in the same, you know, same room for the same reason. So, um, so that's something I'm working on. Um, I'm just putting it out there because I'd love to hear during shares anybody's reactions. Um, if that's okay. Okay. Um, how much time have I got? <laughs> Four minutes. Four minutes, okay. Um, so, I guess, I guess I'll bring up this. I'm, I'm dating somebody. Turns out he's an ACA. How about that? How about that? So, he don't trust, don't share, don't, what's it, the three things? Don't trust, don't share, don't feel. Feel, don't feel. His father died last week. Who's taking care of his dog? Well, truly. Who's picking up the dog tonight? I put the keys above the hidden, well, I don't tell you where I hide it. I hid the keys. Because <laughs> I don't even, because I'm feeling so kind of resentful with his lack of communication with me during this past, he actually died the week before, so it's been, his funeral was on Sunday, this Sunday, and then yesterday was another kind of mass or something. And then um, he flew, he's flying back, or he flew back on the red eye last night. And I'm just so... You know, like I step away from this meeting for three weeks and I'm like, I, you know, right in the middle of all this, why, why did I do that to myself? You know, I really needed to be in a space where I could have shared my, what's going on with me and maybe gotten some feedback before it got to this point of resentment where I'm like, I really don't even want to see you when you come pick up your dog. I want to just let us, you know, reach out to each other, you know, when you're more available, which is fair, actually, because that's self-care. It's like, I realize this may be not a good situation for me, and like my therapist, which I do have, is you know happy with, you know like if I want to go out and date somebody else right now, I'm not like I'm committed to this person. Do it, although I feel like it's sort of like defensive dating, my friend calls it, where you date somebody else even though you're into the other person, but you do it because, you know what I mean. So, so and that confuses my life too, because I did go on a defensive date, and now I've got another person in my life who's like interested in me, and I can't handle it. You know, it's like, I don't, I can't it's like, it's, yeah, we're not, anyway. <laughs> All right, so anyway, I'm, I'm, I guess I'll read, let's see, between the inner child or the inner critical parent. I also read the critical parent. How do I identify critical parent? Because, again, I've been really confusing. I mentioned it earlier, the difference between me adulting and being responsible and, like, being a grown-up and the critical parent that, you know, like, you know, about life, you know, where I, I'm, I'm drawing that line. So here's what it says in the book. Um, I was talking about, I'll just jump right in, okay? Many of us do not become fully aware of these negative messages that we feed ourselves until we stop long enough to hear them. They are there. Each day these messages can create self-doubt, self-disgust, depression, or panic. This is the inner voice or feeling that tells us that we are not good enough, smart enough, or worthy enough for our job or our relationships. There, are also, there is also a critical inner voice blaming others. This unchallenged critical parent is the bar barrier that keeps us from experiencing wholeness and happiness. We can identify this inner critic by keeping a notepad handy for several days. We can go through the day. We pay attention to our attitudes about ourselves and our others. We jot down negative thoughts, doubts, and fears as they arise. Judging others, this is where I highlighted, judging others and comparing ourselves to others is the classic sign of an inner critical parent. Judging someone's clothing or how a person speaks is a sign of critical parent. 
I think I have a lot of internalized homophobia because of my growing up in Oklahoma. I will see a gay person and sometimes I immediately start criticizing them. I'll, I, I just go into it. Now, how is that healthy? To carry around that criticism of, you know, it's just awful. Comparing ourselves to others financially, physically, intellectually uh, is the critical parent. Assuming we are wrong when something happens that is not our fault is this inner critic that I do that. Uh, blaming others or saying I'm sorry often is the critical parent. I've done it, over-apologized for things I had no control over. Uh, gossiping is the inner critic. I've used gossiping as a way of having power to make myself like I'm, feel like I'm powerful. It's like not helpful. Um, anyway, so there's my share. Thanks. Thank you. Thank you.